You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. But guys, we are in a series called In the Clouds. Have you guys enjoyed this series so far? I know we started it last week, but it's actually, it's pretty unique. I don't know about you guys, but this is like, it's been, a, it's been a challenge for me because I was definitely in that boat that Pastor Jackson talked about. When we get in the word, when we're doing a quiet time, many times we maybe are reading a few verses, right? Or we're reading one chapter and we're just so zoned in, microscopically just viewing it and digesting it. And that is good, right? That's good words. It is solid, but that's not everything, right? And so that's what this series is about is going 30,000 feet in the air, getting a bird's eye view of the entire word of God to see it as one full story. So I don't know where you guys are, but for me, when it came to the old, when it comes to the Old Testament, I'm not as knowledgeable. Again, I'd be honest with you guys. So going into this, I was like, man, there's still so much to learn. Um, and so what I love last week that we did with microscopic uh, pictures, do you guys remember that? So I wanna do something similar this week, um, but instead of like objects, it is gonna be people. So I'm gonna show you a zoomed in picture of we'll say leaders, well-known leaders from the modern day, the last couple hundred years. And I want you guys to tell me, who do you think this leader is? So we'll start with the first picture. And who do you guys think that is just, we see the nose, see the eyebrows, the eyes. Who do we think it is? Here, Rosa Parks, I hear. It is Martin Luther King Jr. So one of the, like, Biggest key roles in the civil rights movement, bringing equality, justice. He was a man after God's heart. One of my favorite leaders. So that's the first one. We got a, we got a few more. What's the second one? Hmm, this one might be tough. I'm actually curious to see if you guys get this one. So shoot it out, huh? George Washington, huh? Benjamin Franklin, Dr. Phil. I'm playing. <laughs> uh, all right, who is it? Who is it? It is Abraham Lincoln the GOAT, I like to say the best, if not one of the best presidents in United States history, solid believer, helped bring equality to so many abolished slavery, helped keep the United States as one, united, big time. All right, so that's the, we got two more. What's the third one? Hmm. Oh, yeah, you, oh, yeah, this is too, was it the bandana? Was it the, I don't know, what do you call it? The hoodie? I know, yeah, it is Mother Teresa. What game, like, what do you call that, what they were wearing? A hijab? Oh, okay. Yes, it is Mother Teresa doing so much work for the kingdom. She's known for loving the poor, loving the kids, the abandoned, the orphans. Incredible. And then what's the last one? Hmm. Hmm. As I knew you guys were going to say Morgan Freeman. It's not Morgan Freeman. But it looks close. It looks close. No one, no one got it? It's, it is Nelson Mandela. Let's go. Let's go. Father of democracy for South Africa. Helping turn the country from oppression dictatorship to democracy. So guys, I love that picture, right? We get so zoomed in sometimes that we miss the big picture, the entire view. And something that was cool that we talked about in small groups last week was the amount of what we call a cross-reverence. Do we know what that is? Basically, it's a moment, say in the Old Testament, for example, Zechariah 9.9, when they said that the Lord and Savior, they would come in on a donkey, humble. And then we go fast forward to the New Testament in the Gospels where we see Jesus coming in on a donkey on Palm Sunday. That's one example of a cross-reference. So something spoken hundreds of years ago that came to pass later on. And so I wanna show you guys this picture. It is the Bible 
from Genesis to Revelation showing how many cross-references there are. Think about this. The Bible was written 40 different authors across hundreds of years, almost 2,000 years with no contradictions, and look at how many cross-references there are. Isn't that wild? So you start here in Genesis, you go through everything in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament, it's Revelation. Guess how many that is? Just guess, throw a number out there. 2,000, can I get a little higher? 3,000, 3,000, 4,000, 4,000, 10,000, we're gonna get 10,000. Guys, 63,000 cross-references, minimum, minimum, and none of them contradict each other. Isn't that dope? Like, I love seeing that. That's like, there is no coincidence. So I love seeing it. And so when we look at this bird's eye view, when we look at that picture, we can know that, man, God, you are working. You are actively moving. And that's still true today. So what we did last week, we talked about the first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis through Deuteronomy, right? That was what? What did we focus on there? What was the, what was the theme of last week? The what? Law. law. It was the law, Right, so we see creation, we see the Egyptians, the Israelites, Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land where God brings about his commandments, right? 613 commandments to obey, right? But is it to show that they need to be perfect or they can't be perfect? They can't be perfect, right? And so basically what we're doing is that's also known as the Pentateuch, the five first five books of the Bible, and the Torah, that was also known as the Torah, what they based their lives on, the law of God, so that they could be one with him in right standing, so that they could be blessed in their time in Israel. So this week, what we're doing is we are looking from Joshua through Esther. So that is 12 books. We are, we're, there's a lot in those 12 books, y'all, but we're gonna focus on the nation. That's what we're focusing on tonight is the Israelites, the children of God. So we're focused on their time in Israel and what happens. Guys, there is a lot that happens during their time in Israel. It is straight up like a roller coaster. And we are going to get into it. So picture, this will be a little bit different. It'll be kind of more like story time. You know, in first grade, second grade, when you're like crisscross applesauce with a teacher and she's just reading you a book. So technically, what I, something that I wanna do is kind of go through these 12 books kind of summarize everything that happens with God's nation, with the Israelites. And with so much, so much juice in here, literally, it was a time where, have you ever heard of the Bible Project? Bro, that thing is clutch. It's like spark notes for the Bible. So if you guys ever get a chance, look up the Bible Project and then just look up a book like Joshua. Basically it gives you like an eight to nine minute summary of the book and it's so well illustrated, so well said. Um, it's so easy to learn and figure out what was going on. So I kind of use that to help read through the, these 12 books. But man, just to see what happened and look at the different leaders throughout these books and learn about who did leadership well for the people of Israel and then who didn't do so well. Um, and so that's kind of a message title for you guys tonight, all encompassing around the God's nation and the leadership throughout Your Leadership Matters. That'll be the me- title message tonight, Your Leadership Matters matters. So we're going to look at what happened with the Israelites through this entire time. So what I wanted to bring up to help show you guys a good picture of the timeline of the Old Testament, just to help us get a clear picture of what's going on. So if you guys can see this, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's what we looked at week one last week. So basically we're going from Joshua from about, what is that, 1300 BC all the way through 
to Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah, 500 BC, where you can see, can you guys read that at the top? In Babylon, return to Jerusalem. Cool, all right, you guys are solid. Uh, all right, so here's where we're gonna start. So, what these, these section, these 12 books, it's called the historical books of the Bible, or the Nevi'im, which I'm like, that's cool, Nevi'im. And essentially, what it did is former prophets who throughout the victories and failures of Israel, they're sharing these stories, but also reaffirming that God continues to show them the way. He never gives up on them. His love is never ending and providing them a king through the line of David. And so here's where we're gonna start in Joshua. So Joshua's the first book. And Joshua was basically Moses's mentee. So basically when Moses is literally right there, like at the promised land, and they're ready to go into the promised land, Moses hands it off to Joshua. And so after Moses' death, we see God speaking to Joshua. So who's got their Bibles? Raise your hand. Physical Bibles, digital Bibles. All right, so we're gonna read Joshua chapter one, verses one through nine. And if you got your Bibles, I'd go there because we weren't able to get that on the notes. So we're actually gonna read together on our own devices or Bibles. How about that? All right, so... Yeah, let me know when you're there. I like that we're reading this all together. You're there. Joshua 1. I'm going to say it's like a teacher. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Got it. Got it? Nice. Is everybody else there? What a hoot. I like that we're doing this. Yeah, like a class. Well, let me know when you're there. Uh, uh, it's up to you guys. I'll be in the New Living Translation. King James. I hope you guys practice your thou arts. Yes, Joshua 1 in the Old Testament, it is the sixth book of the Bible. <laughs> Get it, first five last week. I know my math. Okay, are we ready? All right, Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From Negev in the wilderness in the south to Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. I love that verse. And the next one, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So boom, right? It's clear as day. Joshua knows what's expected of him as he leads an entire nation of people into the promised land. And Joshua, he was an awesome leader. He leads Israel into Israel. He leads the Israelites into Israel. And so basically what happens is they still have land to take. And so there's battles that have to be fought. And so for example, one group is called the Canaanites. So with many of the groups that the Israelites were encountering, God wanted them to make peace. But for some reason, the Canaanites, they were a specific group, they were very corrupt. They were sexually immoral, they were sacrificing children, 
It was pretty, pretty sick stuff. And so that was the one group that they were called to drive out of the land. And so as they started to do this, that God, like Joshua knew, as they would be obedient, as they would be faithful, they would be blessed even in these battles. So we see two battles immediately in Joshua, Jericho and then I. So Jericho, we kind of know that story for the most part. God calls him to walk, laps around Jericho, marching to music, and on the seventh day, they blow the trumpets, walls fall. That was an example of God's faithfulness, where we see that God, no matter what he has us to do, if it doesn't make sense, we're gonna be obedient and we know that he'd be there. But here's the thing, when those walls of Jericho fell, God called the treasure, the gold, the, anything that was in there was to belong to God. And everybody was supposed to be obedient and respect that, but there was one Israelite that didn't. His name was, I, what is it, I, Ahin or Han? Ahan, yeah, Han. You guys did the phlegm thing? Ahan, Ahan. So he actually went and stole some of the treasure and kept it for himself. And so what happens is they go to the next battle, the battle of Ai, and they just start losing. They're losing men left and right, and they're wondering, God, why are you not fighting for us or fighting with us? And they figure out that I had stolen treasure. He was being disobedient, and he lied about it. So boom, we see the first moment that they are disobeying, they are failing, and they're seeing the consequences of it. And so they realize what happened, and then they repent, they take care of the situation with Ahan, and they end up winning that battle of I. But we see both sides, right? We see being obedient, faithful, and winning easily, but then we see failing, being disobedient, the consequences. Does that make sense? So basically this continues. They continue to win battles. Joshua's an incredible leader. And as they finish his time, as Joshua gets older and they've gotten their land, Joshua breaks up into 12 tribes, Israel into 12 tribes, fulfilling the promise that God made to Abraham. So basically what happens is you got 12 tribes. Basically, they call them judges. That's the next book is judges, but they're more of tribal chiefs, not necessarily like courtroom judges. And so he's basically reading to them the, the, the command that God wants to give them as they go off into these 12 tribes, 12 lands. So Joshua 24, 14 through 15. That's the next one we're reading. Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Let me know when you're there. <laughs> got it, got it. Got it. Come on. All right, so we'll go ahead and read. So Joshua 24, 14 through 15. It says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? So essentially he's talking about when they worship the golden calf at Mount Sinai, those gods, those fake gods. Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in those lands who you now live? So basically the gods that were here before we came in. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Have you guys ever seen that verse in like a kitchen or like a dining room? The, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I honestly, this, I didn't realize that that's where it, it, it was referenced. It was more Joshua telling the 12 tribes, hey, as you guys go and lead these different tribes, I want you guys to make sure that you are obeying the Lord. You are being faithful to the Lord and not to the other gods that are out there. And so as they disperse into the different tribes, the different lands, it doesn't go, it doesn't go well. We'll say that. So that's where we go into the book of Judges. So Israel fails epically. When I say epically, dude, it was not pretty. 
They let go of God's word. Corruption creeped in. There was violence. There was pride. There was destruction. The Canaanites were in, like getting back into the land of Israel. And it almost, it pretty much led Israel to a civil war. So it wasn't good. So we go from a blessed nation to everybody's just fighting each other. They're divided. And there were a couple solid leaders like Deborah. We know the story of Deborah. But for the most part, these tribal leaders, they were no different than the Canaanites. That's essentially how bad it got. That it was like, we don't know what to do. And so essentially what happens is we get to the end of Judges and Israel is falling apart, but there's hope. There is four times written throughout Judges that it says Israel had no king. So they needed a king to step in once again to help lead them. And that's where we go into Ruth. So I wish we had time for Ruth. Ruth is a beautiful story. We don't have time to get into all of it, but it's a beautiful story of loyalty and generosity that would be a key role in King David's line, that he would be coming through that generations, through that line. So as we go into First and Second Samuel, we get to a point where nobody knows what to do. Samuel is a wise and faithful leader. He was known as a prophet, and he comes in and he plays that key role in helping to unite the kingdom of Israel. And so the Israelites wanted a king, but here's the thing. How many of us know we can ask God for stuff with the wrong heart? right? I need a car. Do I want a car because I need to get somewhere and I need to get to youth and my parents can't take me? Or do I just want the nicest Jeep Wrangler that costs 50 grand? How many of us know there's different hearts in that? So what happens is the Israelites, because of the division and the destruction, they see the Canaanites, they see all of these different lands, and they see that they have kings. And they say, well, we want a king. We just want to be like them. They didn't necessarily want a king because they needed somebody to help guide them. They just wanted one to be like everybody else. So when they ask Samuel, they say, hey, we want a king. So Samuel consoles with God and says, they want a king. God, what do you think about that? And God basically says, if they want a king, give them a king. And that's where we see Saul. King Saul comes into the picture. So Saul, basically from the outside looking in, this guy's got it, bro. He is strong, good looking, attractive, brave. He, uh, he led a few battles for Israel and they actually won. But how many of us know God doesn't look on the outside? He looks at the heart. So immediately we see over time his insecurities, his pride, his greed, his deceitfulness. So essentially what happens is Saul ends up like not doing well for Israel at all. To the point where Samuel has to come in, basically challenge Saul and say, hey, you're not doing this the right way. There's going to be another king that's going to come in and replace you. So just be ready. And that's where we see the Philistines coming into strength. We see Goliath. And then who ends up finding Goliath? David. So David enters the picture. A humble, small shepherd boy. You wouldn't ever think he's supposed to rule this earth. But he comes in and what defeats Goliath, right? And so he defeats Goliath and he ends up just being promoted. He's being raised into power to the point where Saul gets jealous. Saul gets so jealous, he actually wants to kill David. And David basically has to go hide. And what's interesting about David is he also had the chance to return the favor and kill Saul. But David said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to honor Saul. Even because he's in authority, he's in a place of power, I'm going to honor his place. And even to the point where Saul died of old age, David mourned Saul's death. Isn't that weird? That he is mourning, he is honoring his own enemy. That's where we see a level of humility that is not found every day. So David is immediately put in that place. He is the new king of Israel. And guys, they're back on track. 
right? David is in such a good place. He unites the 12 tribes and they see nothing but blessing. They help conquer Jerusalem. They make it the capital city. They bring in the Ark of the Covenant, the vision to start the temple. And he was told that the future king for all the world would be through his line. Those are pretty good days. They saw the blessing. They were back on track. But how many of us know? He's not perfect. Bring in the moral failure. I'm assuming we all know the moral failure of David. So basically, if you don't know what happens, David is on the roof one day, and he sees a woman bathing. Her name is Bathsheba, and he likes what he sees, and he goes and finds her, has sex with her, and gets her pregnant, and she's married to a soldier of high respect that David liked. And because he gets her pregnant and he knows what he's done is wrong, he has that soldier killed so that he can marry Bathsheba. Not a good look, right? And he, this was the beginning of destruction once again. And David felt bad. He felt the remorse. He wanted to repent, and he did, and he was forgiven. But the consequences of that were disastrous. And that's something that I want to share with you guys, too, is if it doesn't matter, like, how much you've grown, one act of foolishness, it can really do a lot. And although we are forgiven, you guys have to be aware there are consequences that need to be paid. And so David repented and was forgiven. But the consequences were his two sons, they ended up committing similar tragedies, but even worse, to the point where there was corruption and rebellion, and one of his sons actually tried to have his dad, David, killed. And so at this time, David had another son named Solomon, who started off well, who all of you have to know, Solomon was the most the wisest man in the Old Testament. So he started off well with wisdom, asked the Lord, please give me wisdom, and it started off great. And he actually finished the first temple, but again, his pride and the power easily crept in. And he started to be disobedient. He started to enact slave labor and tax laws and had multiple women so he could just get in his foot in the door with other groups so that he could become more powerful. Essentially, they say that he became like Pharaoh of Egypt. David's son Solomon became like Pharaoh of Egypt. That just blows my mind. And again, this started the collapse of Israel once again. And all the kings after ran Israel to the point where it ended up having to be divided. So Israel now became two different sections. So you had northern part, which is Israel, and the southern part, which is Judah. So there it's a split now. So it's already divided. And this led to generations of kings, both north and south. They just couldn't get it together. It was actually pretty, pretty, pretty depressing to read through, honestly. But they knew that there was still hope. So essentially what happens is because of the destruction that the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Babylonians, the Persians, they basically come in and dominate Israel and drive the Israelites out of exile. Isn't that sad? I don't know, they, like, you, there's all this work done by David, done by Joshua, done by Moses, only to lead, sorry, God allowed them to be conquered, to be moved to, what is it, Persia. Babylonia turned into Persia. And so that's where we get through to First and Second Chronicles. Essentially, it's a summary of the Jewish scriptures so where are we now? We are into the United, so the United Kingdom, now we're into the divided kingdom, and now we're kind of towards 700 BC towards Babylon. So that's where they are. They're being exiled. And so now they're in Babylon, and 50 years later, as they're in Babylon, or Persia, there was a, I've lost my place. So the Persian king, his name was Cyrus. He allowed some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple. Which I'm like, that's kind of cool. I'd like to know more about how that prince of Persia, or the king of Persia, allowed them to do that. 
So they allow Ezra and Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the city. So Ezra was in charge of rebuilding the community and following the Torah, while Nehemiah was charged with rebuilding the city's walls. And so they were faithful and obedient. They tried to do their best, but they faced opposition and difficulties lied ahead with the Jews. They were violating the Sabbath. They were being lazy. They were disobeying the Torah. There was division, disagreements on who should be doing what. And so at this point, we see that they're back in the promised land, but they're in disappointment. We see that God's nation needs a holistic transformation of their hearts. And that's where we go into the final, the 12th book, Esther. How many of us know the story of Esther? It's pretty dope. And actually, this was my first time actually reading all the way through Esther. So Esther, honestly, it's almost like a reality TV show in a sense. So essentially what happened, so some of the people were back in Jerusalem, back in Israel, and then back in Persia, in the capital of Susa, it was called. So some Jews, sorry, Esther and her uncle Mordecai. So they were in Susa. They are the two main characters of the story. And then the two other main characters, you've got the king of Persia and then a guy named Haman. And Haman is basically, he's a man of high power. He's a high respected man in Persia. But these two men, Haman and the king of Persia, they're pretty corrupt. The king is honestly a fool. He drinks too much. He drinks a ton. And we're gonna see how much he drinks. So one night, the king decided he wanted to do a massive banquet where he got super drunk and he mistreated his wife, the queen, to the point where they ended up separating. And so the king basically says, all right, screw you. I want another queen, another wife. So he holds a beauty pageant for the next queen. And so Esther, she hides the fact that she's Jewish. If, she, if, she, if they knew she was Jewish, she probably wouldn't have won this. But she hides the fact that she's Jewish and she wins this pageant and becomes the next queen of Persia. And at the same time, while she's at the pageant, Mordecai, he was walking around and he heard two guards that were talking pretty quietly about them conspiring to kill the king of Persia. And so Mordecai at this time, he's like, well, I gotta let the king know. So he goes to the king, lets him know and saves the king's life. So boom, we see, we see Mordecai and we see Esther come into pretty important positions immediately. And so it's really cool. Now Haman that guy of high power, the greedy one, the prideful one, he's the kind of guy that like, if you walk by him, you had to kneel. He basically said, if you don't kneel, you're in big trouble. So Mordecai, he's walking by Haman one day and expects Mordecai to kneel and Mordecai says, nope, I'm not going to. And so that got Haman super upset, super angry. And when he found out who Mordecai was, he found out that he was Jewish. He basically said, all right, man, I want them all dead. So he goes to the king and the king is drunk again at this point. And he says, hey, all the Jews here, all the Israelites here in Persia, I just, let's kill them. And the king's like, all right, let's do it. And so what they do is they just grab a random pair of dice. And they say, all right, whatever these dice numbers roll, that'll be the day that we kill everybody, that we destroy them. And that's called purse. I want you guys to remember that, pur, P-U-R. That's what they called the dice that determined what day that would happen. And so, obviously, because Esther's the new queen, she knows what's going on. She hears that this is a plan to take out all the Jews. And so, she knows that she and Mordecai are their only hope to save the entire nation of Israel, essentially. And so, what happens is, obviously, if I'm Esther, I'd be scared. I'd be, like, out of my mind scared. And so, Mordecai, he actually encourages her and says, hey, this might be the reason you are the queen. 
There's a reason, there's a purpose for this. And so Esther, she finds the bravery in her and she says, all right, I'll let him know that I am Jewish and if I perish, I perish. And I love that, that, that confidence of knowing that this is more than about me. This is more than about what I want. This is about God's people, my people. So we're gonna figure this out. So essentially what happens is she wants to hold two dinners with the king of Persia and with Haman and try and figure out how she can keep this from happening. So that first banquet, that first dinner, she is talking to both of them and Haman gets so drunk that he just bounces, he just leaves. So it's really just Esther and the king eating dinner. When Haman leaves, he walks by Mordecai. And whenever he walks by Mordecai, he remembers who Mordecai is and he gets really frustrated. And basically because he's drunk, he's just saying, man, I can't wait to kill you. I'm gonna get a massive wooden stake Let's point it on the top, and I'm just going to have you thrusted through there. So that's how I'm going to kill you. I don't know. I'd be like, all right, man, good to see you too. I'll see you later. All right. I just, I don't know. I'd be like, that'd be scary. And so essentially what happens is after that first banquet with Esther and the king, the king can't go to sleep that night for some reason. And something is on his mind. And what happens is that night he realizes, oh, my gosh, Mordecai, that guy saved my life. He doesn't know he's Jewish, by the way. He just saved my life, and so I need to honor him. So the next morning, he brings in Mordecai, and Haman's in there, and basically tells Haman, the guy that wanted to kill Mordecai, hey, this guy Mordecai just saved my life, and what I want you to do is to parade him around in the city on a horse. You're gonna pull him, and we're gonna celebrate what Mordecai did for me. Flip. Isn't that wild? Basically, the guy, the Haman, the guy that wanted to kill the Jews, kill Mordecai, is now serving Mordecai, around the city. And I love that flip. And so on top of that, we see that, I'm sorry, I'm I lost my place. <laughs> um, dude, there's just so much in here. I love it. Uh, so essentially what happened is that second banquet, Esther sits down with Haman and, Mort and the king of, uh, king of Persia, and they're both drunk again. They drink so much, I don't, I don't get it. And basically, Esther reveals to the king and says, hey, I'm a Jew, I'm Jewish, and this decree that you guys wrote out to kill everybody, if you do that, you're gonna have to kill me, and you're gonna have to kill Mordecai that you just saved and celebrated. And in that moment, the king says, man, you're right. That was your idea, right, Mordecai, or right, Haman? And Haman says, yeah. And the king has Haman executed the same way that Mordecai was gonna be executed on that wooden stake. Isn't that wild? So we see this complete flip. So essentially Esther and Mordecai saved the entire Jewish nation in Persia from being, from being executed. And I love that flip, right? I love that moment where we don't see God referenced at all in the book of Esther, but we see his handprints everywhere. I, that gets me so fired up to see he is at work for his people. And so when you look through these 12 books, so much has happened about the people becoming disobedient, they've been led astray, they're imperfect, they fall into the sinful ways, but then God comes through every single time and says, I am still your God, I am gonna make a way out no matter what. And what I love too is that not only do we see the people of Israel falling and stumbling, but the leaders as well. If you guys look back at it, so Joshua, he meditated on God's word day and night. He led by example, but there were moments where he failed. There were moments where there were a couple battles where he had to console with God 
to ask for his decision on what to do, but a couple of those moments, he didn't do it, and it led to destruction. He failed in that way. David was a man after God's own heart, but he had that big, massive moral failure. Esther helped save the Israelites in Persia, but if you look back, there's, they say, the scholars say, is the reason God isn't mentioned as much in that book was because they didn't keep a lot of the commandments that were in the Torah. But so God still used imperfect people for massive works. And it's the same with you guys. So basically what I'm wanting to encompass with all of this coming back together is how we as humans, we can't keep perfect obedience and righteousness. We're in need of a perfect savior. And what I love too about this entire Old Testament so far is we see this massive story that's leading to Jesus. They are in need of a savior. They are in need of a leader that can do what they cannot do. And so what's interesting to me is this served almost as a mirror for us, that God's people, we are God's people, we are God's nation. And how many times have we fallen short? Have we messed up? Have we gone astray after different idols? Those idols don't necessarily have to be sin. It could be sports. It could be success in school. It could be music. Whatever that might be, those can become idols just as the Israelites went after different idols. And so what I want you guys to look at is these leaders throughout these 12 books, you guys are leaders too. Think about your family. Think about your classroom. Think about your sport. Think about your music. Think about your hobbies. Think about here at New Song. Think about anywhere. You are called to be leaders just the same. And being a leader doesn't mean that you have to be the captain. Being a leader doesn't mean you have to be the guy with the microphone. Being a leader doesn't mean you have to be the one making decisions all the time. A leader is not a position. A leader is who you are. It's a lifestyle. And leaders aren't born. They are made. And so I want to give you guys a few verses. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. John 3.30, he must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. Matthew 20, 26, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. And I love that. As God's people, as leaders, I think one thing that we look at in life, for me, the big difference between a leader versus I think just somebody that just does life on their own and is selfish. Think about a taker of life. Everything's for me. I just want what's for me. I want the good grade. I want the satisfaction. I want the likes on Instagram. I want uh, to be liked. I want to be pop. Whatever that is, fill in the blank. When you go from a taker in life to a giver in life, think about that. When you live a lifestyle of serving, of giving, of loving others, that in my mind is a leader. I think about the different aspects of leadership that I looked up, integrity, encouragement, selflessness, gratitude, perspective, faithfulness, hope, vision, sacrifice, observance, wisdom, support, being the example, being real, being empathetic, being consistent. Guys, there's so many ways you can be a leader. And what I want you guys tonight, as we go into small groups, I want you to kind of walk through and see, okay, God, what have you done in me where I can be a leader? So I have some different questions for you as we wrap it up. But one thing I want you guys to finally recognize as we wrap this up 
Guys, you understand we are God's masterpiece. Even as we look back on God's nation of Israel, how imperfect they were, we are still his people. We belong to Jesus, first and foremost. He's the leader that we will never, ever, we will not follow anybody else. We follow Jesus and Jesus alone. You don't belong to anybody else. We don't belong to anything else. And until you let that sink into your souls, you will just bounce around and go from person to person looking for fulfillment and satisfaction. You'll go to some other activity, you'll go to some other addiction, and you will not find fulfillment unless you are following God and God alone. We see that so many times with the Israelites, how many times they went back into the worldly ways, and what did it lead to? Death. When you come back to the Lord, he is there right now. He will make a way for you every single time. Just as the people of Israel experienced, we can experience freedom too. So one thing, I have three questions for you guys. Did you guys go into small groups? I sent this to group me to the leaders. But one, when you dig deep, just like what we saw with Saul, what are some character flaws that you have that don't honor the Lord as a leader? What are those other idols that you might be going after over him? So be thinking about that as we go into small groups. Question two, what are the leadership qualities that God has given you to use? Think about you specifically. Like I think, for example, man, I think about Austin. I think about the joy that I see in you. I feel like you, you don't follow any specific stereotype, that you are a friend to all. And I love that 1 Corinthians 9.19 says, although I am a slave to nobody, I have made myself a slave so that I may win them for Christ. I feel like you have that gift. You're able to go and be a friend to everybody so that you can win them for Christ. I think about Joshua's peace and his calmness. I think about his ability, whenever I'm around him, I just feel at ease. That's a leader. So if I'm feeling anxious, I know I can be calm around Joshua. Man, I think about so many of you guys as leaders in this room. So keep going after that. It doesn't matter if you're 14. Many of these leaders throughout this word, many of them were teenagers. David was assumed to be between eight and 15 years old when he killed Goliath. And I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, apparently. So I want you guys to think of those three questions. And the last one being, how have you allowed Jesus to work in your heart so that you can be a better leader, a better servant moving forward? Because it doesn't, it never stops. This is just the beginning for you guys. And what I love about leaders is they are always looking out for the interests of others before self. So whenever we're looking at you guys as your leaders, we don't want to be the ones teaching you guys all the time. We hope and expect that you're gonna go beyond what we can do. You're gonna reach more people. You're gonna know more about God, that there's gonna be plenty of moments, and there already are, where we're learning stuff from you guys that we didn't know before. I think about Gavin and Brody. I know we've talked about this a lot, but there was a moment where they went to Target three weeks ago, just felt so overwhelmed by the Spirit, they just wanted to go pray for everybody they saw. I wasn't doing that in high school. Heck, I'll be honest, I've never prayed for somebody in Target or a Walmart. So that was such a challenge for me as a 26-year-old, now 27-year-old leader, that I'm like, dude, I'm learning things from my students. They are truly leading me. And it's so cool when we do that, when we seek the God's heart as his people, as his nation, we can do miraculous works, not on ourselves, but him through us. And that's what I love is that as we see, as we wrap this up, the, the God's nation in Israel at this time, they were still divided, they were still confused, they were still discouraged but God has a plan. And that's where I think next week we're gonna go into Proverbs and Psalms and we're gonna look at the heart because that's what they needed was a heart transformation. 
And so as we close, if I could have the leaders make their way up to the front, I just want you guys to start thinking about that, you as a leader, or if you were nervous about leading, thinking, am I a leader? I just want you guys to, to let the Lord pull on your heart to say, yes, you are. And whatever that looks like for you moving forward, we want you guys to continue pursuing it. So as we close out.